Empire podcast this week, we cover ourselves an awful to talk to The Walking Dead's Greg Nicotero and Norman Reedus. And if that weren't enough, the man mountain that is Carl Weathers drops by for a chat. No arm wrestling, mind. Uh, all that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast, it is trying not to make any references to a certain cooking show that returned this week. Podcast intros don't get any tougher than this. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, um, brought to you by those lovable insurance comparison chaps at mustard.co.uk. This week, Helen O'Hara is off, beginning her preparation for her insane odyssey running up a mountain in Nepal. Uh, So it's a full-on swinging sausage fest around here. A sausage fest cooked in an onion gravy with salsa V, onion petals. What? And a white wine shoe. <laughs> no, 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 no more MasterChef references. No more MasterChef references. Uh, first up is our art house guru, a man whose favourite John Ford Western isn't The Searchers, it isn't Rio Bravo, but it is To Road Together. Oh. Sorry, To Road Together, not To John To Road Together. Anyway, it's uh, Phil Dissemblian. Yeah, hi. That was awful. I wasn't sure people got that. They did. Yeah, to, to road. John to they road. They're trying to He's on master. You're interrupting their healing process. Next up is our George Harrison lookalike, the quiet poddle, whose favourite Matt Damon film is the recent epic, the Greg Wallace. I mean, the Great Wall. It's it's John Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, gross. Man. Hi, I, I think. Hello. <laughs> How are you? The gr- I'm still getting over what can barely be described as a pun. I don't know. <laughs> well, I was looking for films with Wall that I could change to Wallace, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, we understand. And the logic. then, and then, yeah. I could, you I don't need to explain it. There was a film called The Great Wall. That's not what I was asking. And gr- gr- Greg, great. Mm. Mm, I'm hearing this. Makes, this this gag is playing well in China. It makes it makes <laughs> perfect not so sense. Well, not so well in Europe. Okay, enough MasterChef nonsense. Uh, it is time for this week's question, and this comes via Twitter from at Lestadius15. L-A-E Stadius. Lestadius15. And uh, they ask, what are the best, most fitting end credit songs? They should be, and this is important to you guys, they should be integral to the film. All three Lord of the Rings rank highly emo, says Lestadius15. Uh, so there you go. So, not just end credit songs. You can't just stick a song on the end credits uh, so it can climb up the charts. It has to have some thematic link to the movie or it has to emerge from the movie. For example, uh, yesterday I uh, I had the good fortune to watch The Time of Their Lives uh, starring Dame Joan Collins. And, at the, and there's a motif. Phil, have you seen this film? No. You interviewed Dame Joan Collins. Yeah, I did. You asked her how hairy her ass was, didn't you? <laughs> Did you do that? <laughs> Incredibly hairy, as it turned out. Did you? No, I didn't ask her that. Okay. That would be... Okay. She's a dame. I can't ask her that. You can. I asked her what the worst man in the world was. And what was it? Her neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most Dave Joe Collins answer ever. Wow. Pete Collins. Well, so so there's the, this film, The Time of Our Lives, which uh, John Collins stars alongside uh, Pauline Collins. And um, Franco and John Nero. Collins, uh, John Collins, John Collins, yeah. And Franco Nero's in it. And, yeah, yeah, uh, that's really he weird. He has a full frontal nude scene in which you see his Francos and his Beanos, <laughs> uh, which I was not expecting it's in Jango's. this. Django's fully <laughs> unchained. I can't believe you let the Django one go. <laughs> 
You're an amateur. I'm not an amateur. You are. I vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. <laughs> Listener's choice. Voting is still open right now. Oh, God. Uh, people are going, Helen has been gone for five minutes. <laughs> We've had 59 euphemisms for penis. Yeah, already we're talking about Franco Nero's wobbly knob, um, which I did not expect to see in this film, The Time of Their Lives. No. But suddenly there it is, and it's unavoidable. And thankfully not in 3D. Um He's got a lot to be proud of. Let's, let's, just, let's just put it that way and leave it at that. Anyway, there's a song that runs throughout the film. I'm not saying this is my choice, but I'm just saying, as by way of illustration, there's a song that runs through the, the film, a motif called uh, Morty and Me, which I believe was co-written by Tim Rice, the executive producer Ooh. of the film. And then at the end of the film, you hear the full song, Morty and Me, sung by no less than Sophie Ellis Baxter. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> I thought you were about to say <laughs> sort of Pavarotti or something. <laughs> well, that'd be a turn up for the books, wouldn't it? Well, no, okay, so a bad example. But, I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know if that's probably answered the question. <laughs> no less than Sophia. Oh. Luminary. Oh, going back to The Hobbit. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. They're all quite, or they're, they're, you, could, you could argue that some of them go too far. Two, they're too thematically linked to the film. Right. The Ed Sheeran one I give you as a <laughs> The you lyrics can't... are like, icy fire, burning yeah. the trees, uh-huh. fuck off dragon, scorching <laughs> those leaves. <laughs> <laughs> now I see fire lighting that thatch. What do you know? It's Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the lyric. I can't remember exactly. Did Sheeran do... on those lines. He did the third one, didn't he? Second one. He did the second one. First one was. Um, uh, well, the first one I like. First one you like, of course, because it's, it's Neil, Neil Finn, Finn and, and it's it's a lovely ditty, and he actually mentions the lonely song of the lonely mountain, and you know it's, it's a very lovely, almost a folk song. Far over <laughs> the misty mountains rise. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying that you could yeah. sing it in that in I, that that way. I that close moment. my eyes and I am literally in middle earth right now. <laughs> <laughs> you you were singing this in the office yesterday, and it did sound like you're on helium or something, like a helium I'm folk song. The misty mountains. That's a lovely song. <laughs> <clears throat> lovely song. It's great. Mm-hmm. Good old Neil Finn. Good one, Neil Finn. <clears throat> That's a good one. And then obviously second one we've had here, and we've talked about. So who's the third? Billy Boyd. Billy, Billy Boyd. Billy Boyd. Billy Boyd. Uh, five armies. Is it called? Wow. I believe I've been quite would good. it be wrong of me not to mention We Fight for Love by Power Station <laughs> oh that was on my list oh, oh god from the end it. credits of okay. Commando of course yeah because that's what he's doing he's literally <laughs> fighting for love he, yeah it's, it's incredibly relevant <laughs> with a massive bazooka <laughs> is, that yeah. the one that, is that the one that goes somewhere somehow that the one it's something like that yeah something it's like that it's a classic yeah. Power Station riff and that's yeah. actually the, the tagline of the film uh, somewhere, somehow, someone's going to pay, but I don't think that's the, the lyric in the song. But the, you know, there's a refrain that goes through okay. that song, which okay. is which is interesting. Mm. Yeah. So that's really relevant if it's in the on the poster as well. Yeah, the lyrical spoiler. If we're it thinking is. about exit music for a film, what could be more relevant than <laughs> Mad World? <by> Gary, <laughs> Gary Jules. Where are you going with this, John? <laughs> well, you, you seem to have cottoned on to my mm-hmm. my devious scheme. Exit Music for a Film by Radiohead, which was written specifically for uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. I think you find it's Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Okay, yeah. Um, or is it William Shakespeare's Baz Luhrmann? Anyway, anyway, it's Romeo and Juliet. Pretty sure Shakespeare wrote 
wrote that one. I yeah. don't think it was Baz Luhrmann's original <laughs> original story. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, that's that's literally exit music for a film. Mm. But the lyrics do the do the lyrics pertain to the situation? <sighs> I of, don't know. It's all Romeo sad, and, isn't it? It's all radio. It's all just, sad. It's all just. What do you remember of the lyrics, Chris? I don't remember much of the lyrics. No, that's their bomb theme. Human pigs, human pigs, Billy Boy, don't eat mommy. Beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. Where'd you park the car? Where'd you park the car? I've got my ticket. That sort of thing. It's a great song. It's a great song. It's a music song. We all remember it. There's a song at the end of the film Class of 1984. I think I've talked about it in the podcast before because we've had a variation of this question in the past. Well, the football documentary. No, not the football documentary. That's Class of 1992. Class of 1984 is an ultra-violent movie directed, weirdly enough, by the director of Commando, Mark L. Lester, and written by Tom Holland. Not Spider-Man. Not The Historian. Not even... There's like seven of <laughs> Not them. Not James Dyer's well. roofer, okay. uh, but the uh, the writer and director of Fright Night and Child's Play. And uh, it's about a, a uh, it's it's a really schlocky, really ultra-violent film about a, uh, with a young Michael J. Fox, credited as a Mike, as Michael Fox. No J. Wow. Uh, and it's about a teacher who goes to a, a school, uh, inner city school, and there he finds some inner city pressure. And he, he runs into a group of kids who are just horrible nasty shits and um, at the end he goes nuts and kills them all um, but the film I believe and someone's going to correct me on this is bookended with an Alice Cooper song with the lyrics are when does a dream become a nightmare and you're thinking Alice you've hit the nail on the head here mate <laughs> you've absolutely gone to the thematic core of this film when does a dream this new job helping young kids like helping a young fresh faced Michael J Fox Michael Fox mm. fulfil his potential right. become a nightmare when a group of punks are coming at you with a buzzsaw that's okay. that's yeah, it it's pretty well, profound <laughs> it's profound yeah. considering until two minutes ago I thought this was a film involving Nicky Butt <laughs> and Paul Skulls well, for me, when does a dream become a nightmare there must yeah. be a point in the movie where that happens oh, for me it's, it's whenever they, they win against Bayern Munich in 1999 <laughs> and that night in Barcelona and, and fluke yeah. the treble but anyway that's yeah. neither here nor there Fair enough. <clears throat> what about dum dum <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ferris Bueller. Oh, Ferris I, Bueller. Sorry, that feels just... cute for sexy time as well. Sorry, I... <laughs> you got mixed up. Yeah, really. You misread the signals. I did. Um, yeah. Those uh, lyrics. Yellow. Are... Oh yeah, from, uh, from very the end of... very relevant. Ferris Bueller. What are, are the lyrics? Oh yeah. I mean that that really sums up the movie, mm. don't you think? Yeah. Not really. No. Not. No. Lyri- it's not lyrically. Uh, <clears throat> it's not lyrically doing a lot, is it? But it does sum up his um, his kind of, you know, devil may care. No, there's really no thematic relevance for that one, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so there. Uh, more thematically relevant, The Pixies, Where Is My Mind, from the end, of course, of Fight Club, which mm. is a classic. Oh, yeah. Classic choice. Where is his mind indeed? Where is his mind? Yes. Mm. Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. It's it's ephemeral. No one can see it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Uh, I like Wake Up at the end of The Matrix. Yeah. Um, again, a bit on the nose, but, you know, it's fine. Yeah. And it's a, crack, it's a cracking track by uh, Rage Against a Machine. So I've got a few. I've got actually quite a long list here. Should we just bash through them and you can just this is make... Great because you can make noises. Should I pull the curtain back a little bit on how this podcast is recorded? No. No? It's magic. I, I want to. Don't. Everyone no. knows anyway. Like, they know that we... 
don't do a lot of preparation. <laughs> we don't it's, give it a lot of thought. Is it that obvious? We sneak it in in between. Well, it's just because um, because various reasons we had to postpone the recording of this podcast until Friday morning, which is a good thing because there's some news actually that we want to talk about. And uh, normally, normally we do it on a, on a Thursday morning or a Thursday afternoon. And I, I came in this morning and I came in late and we didn't have a lot of time because I had to run off somewhere. And uh, these two guys were meant to be the, do the podcast with me. And I went, right, let's go do the podcast. And then Phil went, am I doing the podcast? I'd forgotten. And, and, <laughs> you t- and hadn't. Right. But no, no. I, that, no, when listen. you said you were putting the curtain back on the podcast, I didn't mean specifically <laughs> my levels of competence. No, 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 because I'm going to tell a story later on oh, that okay. makes me look even oh, more incompetent than, than, than you, fine, than you are fine. right now. But th- what, what we've done is that the extra two hours mm. that you have had to prepare for this podcast as a result yes. has, has, has well, given I, birth to this incredible this list. This didn't take me two hours, but it took me most of two hours. Um, <laughs> is it, is it long? Well, Nick originally, my brother was supposed to be in the podcast, so I yes. apologise for, for Nick fans, but he couldn't be here today. Um, Nick fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically talking to mum. <laughs> Hi, mum. Um, City of Crime by Dan, Dan Akroyd yeah. and, and Tom Hanks yeah. is terrible. No, it's not terrible. It's, it's great. Terrible, it's but great. awesome. It's awesomely terrible. Awesomely terrible. Or terribly awesome. It's awesomeable. <laughs> <laughs> it featured in an Empire Online feature that we did a while back called 15 Glorious, the awful 80s end credit songs. Yeah. Um, don't tell Nick. That one, I think he may. Have, um, yeah, he probably knows. He, he may be aware of it. Um, now, yeah. I th- always thought that Born Slippy finishes Train Spotting, but it doesn't. It kind of mm. runs up mm. until the credits, and then it becomes it's pulp, isn't it? It becomes Closet Romantic by Damon Albarn, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that kind of knocks out, kind of knocks out Born Slippy. I, yeah. I would imagine. Um, Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings always gets me in the feels. At the end of Platoon. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Mad World from Donnie exactly. Darko. Thematically, I mean, there's no lyrics. That one. Yeah, you know, it's not, you know. Music, the music bit sad. speaks, doesn't it? It speaks of... I get mm, sort of napalm and M16s from that, don't you? Okay. No? Sure. I don't know. It's okay. sad anyway. It is very It's, it's very mournful. Sad. It's an elegy to, you know, the doomed youth of Vietnam. It is. Um, just Like Honey, Jesus and Mary Chain for the end of Lost in Translation. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my favourites, Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick from the end of Top Gun. Sure, <laughs> because yeah. they're in planes. They've got wings. Wings. I, I get it. Wings. Yeah. Wings. They're mighty wings. Wings. Uh, I like also um, a lot of David Fincher here. Um, there's a cracking one at the end of Social Network where he uses "Baby, You're a Rich Man" by the Beatles. Mm. Again, maybe slightly on the nose, but it's sound to me because it's very hard to get the Beatles to license their tracks for movies and uh, a lot of people have failed in fact Wes Anderson wanted to finish uh, I believe he wanted to finish the Royal Tenenbaums with Hey Jude that's right and they wouldn't for whatever reason wouldn't or couldn't license the song so he had to use something else instead I think they he did used a cover. Morrison there's a cover there's a there's cover a, there's a cover by um, I'm looking through you yeah uh, there's a cover of that, I think. Uh, again, people are going to yell at us for, for being wrong. I, I, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. No preparation uh, <laughs> went into the making of this podcast. Uh, but uh, there's a there's a Fan Morrison track now on yes. Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, and then there's that, of course, as well. But Baby, You're Rich Man, the real, actual, genuine John Lennon-written uh, article is in the social network, and that's very, very good. And I, I have a soft spot. <clears throat> you know, you get all these uh, M.O.R. ballads, very much an 80s tradition. Mm. Um, and... There's one man who's been trying to revive that tradition. Uh, James Cameron does it, actually. He Obviously, my heart will go on for Titanic. But Matthew Fawn has been trying to revive this tradition single-handedly with 
with one band in particular, Take That. Uh, mm. On Stardust, Rule the World was the song that kind of announced to the world that Take That were back and Barlow was back and Barlow wasn't any, he wasn't taking any shit from anybody. And this is a belter of a track. Uh, and so much, it worked really, really well. Uh, so much so that I think Fallen has repeated it on about 17 other movies <laughs> since with diminishing results. But uh, I, I really like Rule of the World. The banger. It is a banger. It's it's hard to it's hard, and it, 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 the lyrics pertain to the the story of those characters. Those unforgettable characters. <clears throat> what are their names? What are their names? John, help me. Which ones? The ones in Stardust. Um, Claire, oh. Claire Danes and Charlie Cox's characters. Oh, Dusty. Who can, who can forget Dusty and and Star Features? Star Lord. Star Lord. Dusty. Star Lord and Dusty Springfield. Who can forget <laughs> their adventures? <laughs> Uh, Glorious relationship. One of my favourite soundtracks is from Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Yes. And that ends with Paint It Black. Mm. I don't know if themat- thematically that counts because no one does any painting in the film. But let alone yeah, the kind of painting that would require black paint. Thematically black. But it's anyway. dark. Yes. So, kind of. I mean, if we're talking on the nose, what could be more on the nose than Iron Man at the end of. Yeah. Iron yeah. Man? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that does feel relevant. Yeah. That's actually quite unusual for um, the MCU as well to, to mm. have end credit songs in that way. I mean, there have been a couple, um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it works. Yeah, it totally in the, works in that film. Hmm. Yeah, just about. But you put me in mind of um, "Sympathy for the Devil" ending. I think it's the Guns N' Roses version actually, uh, which ends "Interview with the, with uh, with the Vampire." Oh yeah, the Neil Jordan film, yeah. and obviously the Crying Game. I believe ends with the Crying Game. Hmm. We could go on all day. There's so many. A couple that aren't thematically relevant, but I love, and I mention them anyway, okay. are um, the, God Moving Over the Face of, of uh, the Waters oh by Moby God. at the end of Heat is probably one Amazing. of my all-time favourites. Extraordinary stuff. And Beck's cover of the Corgis, Gotta Learn Sometime, from the end of Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, I also love very much. Mm. And you're just staring at me. Playing no, I am, yeah. Because no, you've forgotten everything. No, I have. Thematically. Right. Yeah, thematically. And, and wiped uh, your memory. And, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, good one. It is a good one. No, not what I just said. Just that's a good track. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Me. No, yes. no, you're doing well, Phil. Thanks. You made my dreams come true, Chris. Oh, should, we, should we move on? Yeah. John, any more before we move on? Because uh, we're literally at the point now where we're just listing songs. No, we're just saying fine. songs. My Way, at the end of Goodfellas. Sid Vicious cover. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's a belter. That's a belter. So I hope the Stadius 15 we've answered your question in, in some depth yeah. uh, but again people are probably yelling at us for, for for missing obvious obvious contenders but hey ho if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and answered by this team of babbling idiots then send them in to Twitter at Empire Magazine is our handle use the hashtag Empire Podcast we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well if that's your bag podcast at empireonline.com Okay, time now for our first guests. The uh, The Walking Dead finishes its seventh season this Sunday, or Monday, in the UK. Um, seven of 20 according to showrunner Scott Gimple. Um, two men who've been mainstays of the show since it began on either side of the camera are Norman Reedus, who plays Daryl. Daryl dies. We riot. And Greg Nicotero, the special effects genius who became one of the show's chief creative forces as producer and director and bloke who makes the zombies look great. Uh, they came to London a couple of weeks ago and they spoke to the walking Nugent. Enjoy. 
We are delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Norman Reedus, Greg Nicotero, and The Walking Dead. How are you? Jet lagged, but we're great. Uh, the Walking Dead works us so hard that we sleep every second that we can, and we just woke up. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you're looking fresh. You're looking good. Yeah. Oh, right. Thanks. <laughs> um, I, I kind of wanted to start off not with a question, but with a, just a statement. Uh, thank you very much for Easy Streets, which okay. has definitely not been in my mind for the last three months, just on loop. Well, that's... Uh, you can thank Scott Gimple for that one. Can we talk a little bit about these these sort of bottle episodes? What's it like to be separated from the uh, the, the rest of the group? Oh, that is horrible. Uh, the first half was really hard for I think for a lot of us because we were separated and we weren't you know we weren't the badasses in town for the first half and uh, you know I mean there's a guy running around with my clothes on he's got all my stuff. Uh, there's a tiger. There's a tiger. Andy and I are crying the whole time. All the girls are being badass and Andy and I are going. We used to be so cool on the show. What happened? But it was it was hard. I mean, um, you know you you put yourself in that you know that headspace and it's just a drag and I said to Scott I was like this this first half it sucks for me like it just sucks and he goes well it's, it's supposed to suck and you know you take these people and you bring them down and you can bring them up higher on the other end you know the end of uh, season six and the start of this season started off so bleak I mean it was it was a really tough way to start the season uh, and it's it started to get a bit uh, a bit more optimistic intense, intense, intense yes let's use the word intense because yeah. I think that that uh, adequately describes uh, where the show went uh, the first half of the season but you know if you really look back at it in retrospect we were excited about the introduction of Negan and the new direction that the show was going on knowing that this season gave us the kingdom and gave us the sanctuary we really have been able to um, express ourselves uh more powerfully visually, you know, adding a tiger you know, mm. into uh, into the show and Ezekiel, uh, it's 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 great. After seven years of of making sure that the audience uh, does not get fatigued and goes on this journey with us, it's it's pretty important. Let's talk a little bit about the kingdom because this is a this is a sort of fascinating addition to the show. I mean, you, as we lo- were speaking just after, I think, episode 11 of the season, um, and we last saw Daryl uh, uh, taking refuge at the kingdom with, with Ezekiel. And that's quite a, that's quite a, 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 an odd couple, I guess. Ezekiel, this sort of Shakespearean leader. Yeah, I, I don't know that Daryl trusts this guy right off the bat. Um, um, you know, it's, it's kind of this no bullshit world that we live in and then all of a sudden there's a lot of bullshit in a tiger and it's it seems very strange um you know and then you know taking refuge is a nice way to say it, but they, they they um you know they keep leaving me behind everywhere um but i don't I, you know it, he's it's very odd this guy speaking like he's in macbeth or something and he's you know got this whole all these people following his lead but it, it's um it is. A, I mean, you directed him. You brought him into this yeah. world. Like you probably know more about him than me. No, but it, it, it's a, it's a great character. It's it's a great world. It, I, the challenge for us was saying, okay, how do we keep this? Uh, how do we keep this tied to the Walking Dead world without as outrageous as it is? So directing that episode was like shooting a pilot. We were introducing mm-hmm. all these new characters, this entire new world. Um, Melissa and Lenny were the only two regulars that were in the show in that particular episode. So it was very challenging, very much like when we got to Alexandria for the first time. 
making sure that the show still felt like The Walking Dead, but but changed personality a little bit. So with Kari and Carl and Cooper and all the the new characters that we've introduced, it's uh, it's been really interesting, uh, and I think really adds a lot to the show because we are expanding and we are growing, and these these worlds uh, all have a very specific. Uh, place in terms of where the story goes, and it's been uh, it's been seven years now. It's been nearly a decade, and obviously, the the walkers are. I mean, some of them are looking pretty gnarly. I mean, what, what, <laughs> what's the sort of challenges with with you know special effects and makeup when you have walkers who are decomposing in this way? Well, we, you know, I think what we've really made a made a conscious effort of doing is keeping the designs uh, tied into storylines. You know, Scott will come up with uh, some ideas and he'll immediately reach out. Hey, I have this idea for this inst- art installation type zombie. Uh, even the walkers in, in the Oceanside episode with Tara that were in the, the sand pile, we really wanted them to look different. The idea that they were buried under the sand and they were desiccated and mm. uh, lacking any sort of moisture. It's just good after seven years to kind of keep, That's how I feel keep right changing. Now. That's how you feel right now? <laughs> lacking any lacking, sort of moisture. Lacking in moisture. Did you sleep under a sand pile for the last half hour? Yeah, I feel like it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's it, it's a constant thing. Listen, you know, I mean, I'm a fan as well. You know, I love I love the show, and if I wasn't working on it, I would want to see something different. I would want to see what the guys can come up with, and and that's something that it's important for us to keep it uh, to keep it fresh and to come up with with new interesting things. You know, the the walker, uh, the cable on the freeway, chopping all the walkers yes. in half. Yeah. Uh, was was my homage to Grindhouse and Robert Rodriguez. I thought, you know, the show, you got to sort of remind the audience every once in a while that the world is still dead because we've spent a lot of time uh, with all the the human drama. So every once in a while, we have to sort of reintroduce uh, the fact that the world is a dead place. And Mm -hmm. we did it in that episode in a very spectacular fashion because you see the walkers coming up the freeway and then uh, and then the cars take off and chop them all in half. It was a lot of it it was meant to be a moment where everybody kind of cheered. And and, uh, I got a lot of great response from from that. was, it wasn't in the script. As a matter of fact, I storyboarded in the original script. Rosita opens the sunroof Rosita. and throws the tennis ball detonator out of the sunroof and blows up some of the explosives. And when we read it, I remember saying, my first instinct to Scott was, well, they're surrounded by a bunch of walkers. We've kind of seen that. Let's think of a way to sort of up it. Mm. Um, so... That gag happened. I still wanted to retain Rosita doing something badass in the other car that they were. Tra- she was trapped in with Tara and Carl. Mm-hmm. So we wanted, of course, we wanted both. And they're like, "Well, we're not sure we can afford to shoot all of that stuff because we had eight days to shoot the whole episode." But it was, you know, we just we were really excited about that sequence because it was fun and over the top and big and sort of rambunctious. And- yeah, it was quite an opener. And then. Um- uh, we're starting to see zombies, uh, sorry, walkers, uh, weaponized now. We're getting wep- uh, walkers with spikes. And um, is, is this a direction that 
the show's going to go down? Maybe sort of more zombie battles? Well, I think even more so than that particular Walker in, in episode 10, but the fact that Eugene comes up with this great way of pouring molten lead on the tops of their heads. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, not only they, not only they uh, melted to the fence, but you can't kill them. Yeah. You can't stab them in the head because the head is encased in, in melted, hardened metal. And I love that idea. I love the idea that, oh, wait a second. I mean, you could... You could do that and preserve these zombies so that everything along the fence at the sanctuary uh, is indestructible. Yeah. Unless they just rot and fall to pieces. <laughs> it's certainly possible. Uh, guys, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's thanks for having us. Thank you. How was that, John? Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Norman Reedus was a bit jet-lagged, but he looked fresh as a daisy, and I was very excited to meet him. Good. Yes. Good. Greg is a good guy, isn't he? He's great. He's a good guy. He's great. My best ever photobomb was uh, in the Norman Reedus photograph at Comic-Con a few years ago. I was doing a red carpet thing with him at a Walking Dead breakfast and um, with the cast of The Walking Dead and Reedus and Andrew Lincoln were in front of me and they took a picture, a selfie of themselves and I got in the back of the picture like grinning like an idiot and uh, it went semi-viral in terms of you know how these things go on Twitter and loads of people went who's that in the background is it Alan Carr no it's not fucking Alan Carr <laughs> ouch I've got short hand glasses <clears throat> big teeth and my own chat show but no I'm not Alan Carr <clears throat> anyway there we go photobopping 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 that's a great new that's still, great. you've that invented a, a great new craze <laughs> photobopping from the 50s is that still a thing <laughs> photobombing yeah I, you don't seem to hear about you don't see a lot of yeah, yeah. no it's no. not no not it's really. like yeah no, but, but it seems to have stopped but bring know, it back yeah I do, I still, there's, there's something about a good photobomb hmm well timed what about Danny DeVito's foot? Is that still, is that still what that's is he not, doing? It's not really photobombing, is it? You know, because the the, the pictures were of his foot were built yeah, around right. the foot. Right. Yeah, everything was, else is bombing. His what did foot. he call his foot? Troll foot. Troll foot. Troll foot. Yeah. Hmm. Do you remember when he came in for the podcast with Richard Griffiths a few years ago, and then the uh, they were right near the Heat magazine offices, and the ladies of Heat just took to Danny DeVito basically adopted him as their mascot for the day <laughs> and it was an amazing shot <laughs> we didn't get this but the, 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 heat, the heat staff did of Danny DeVito surrounded by the entirety of the heat staff this is at, you know about 57 people something like that and he has his shoe and sock off with his foot troll foot raised up in uh, <laughs> just pride of place and everyone just beaming and loving it despite the fact that a strange man has walked in try it try try this <laughs> try walking into someone's office taking off your shoe and sock and raising up your foot and declaring it troll foot troll foot has visited your office you'll be kicked out yes <laughs> yes you wouldn't have time to put your shoe and sock back on yeah. Should we talk about movie news? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a natural segue. <laughs> uh, don't forget, you can yeah. still vote for us in the <laughs> Listener's Choice Awards at the British Podcast Awards. Uh, voting is available online. Is there a best segue category? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Movie news. Well, there's only yes. really one story this week, isn't there? Is there? Is there? Wreck-It Ralph's title. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. That Wreck-It is... Ralph's title. No, that's, that's not true. Uh, the big story, of course, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon, he's manoeuvred into into uh, three roles on the DC Batgirl movie. So there's producer, writer, and Batgirl himself. Exactly. He's playing the the title role. A shock move. 
Yeah, he really can do anything, can't he? Uh, so yeah, Joss Whedon is, um, I'm not sure officially signed. Yeah, Friday reporting in talks, which naturally has been twisted to has signed, but probably by the time you listen to this, he will have crossed the, um, what did he cross? He crossed the T's and you dot the I's. He'll have done that. Uh, on Batgirl. Yeah, for mm. the for for Warner Brothers and slash DC, so the DC extended universe, they're adding standalone Batman movies to this front to this this series, uh, like there's no tomorrow. So there's a Nightwing movie, there's a Batgirl movie. Alfred will probably get his own movie, which I'd quite like to see. Jeremy Irons walk <laughs> running around, <laughs> turn his nose up and everything around him. Go, oh, what is this? What have I done? Um, but yeah, I think it could be quite could be quite fun. Um, and Joss Whedon is obviously an amazing writer and director. I believe he had a hand in some Marvel movies I may or may not like. Um, and yeah, I, I applaud this. I'm intrigued. You know, let's, let's be honest, the DC movies so far haven't entirely hit the mark. But given the juice, they're keeping going. And they've they've got some really interesting talent. James Wan and Aquaman, I think, is, is going to be very, very interesting. And that, and, uh, and Joss Whedon on Batgirl and uh, Matt Reeves on, on The Batman. These are good, really solid directors who will, will bring mm. something to the, to these movies. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Joss Whedon was attached to do uh, Wonder Woman yeah. about 10 years ago. Yeah. And it kind of just fell apart. And, and there were, it wasn't really clear why it fell apart. I guess they didn't quite come to an understanding about how, how it would turn out. So it, it is sort of interesting that he's been coaxed back into the, into the DC fold. Um, and also that he's jumped ship from Marvel, I guess. That these, uh... Well, I mean, you, 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 I don't think there's a question of choosing sides necessarily. No. It's, it's interesting that he'll be the first person to, to make a movie, if this happens, make a movie for both uh, studios. That's going to be interesting. But of course, as you say, he started out with Wonder Woman. He's you know he's a, a bipartisan guy. He likes Marvel and DC. He's absolutely fine with that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't think it's a question of choosing sides. I do think, and if you listen to our Avengers Age of Ultron spoiler special, I don't think it's any secret that he, he had some run-ins with with certainly some some executives at Marvel and at Disney about that, and maybe that was more of a bruising experience for him than the Avengers was. Um, so he may not want to immediately make another movie or be associated with Marvel right away. Um but it's interesting to see that he's going to go for DC, who, of course, also had Patty Jenkins, who had a mm. had an, uh, a bad experience at Marvel with Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, so maybe they're they're you know they're maybe they're positioning themselves. And I've said this before in the podcast. Maybe the DC movies are positioning themselves a little bit more like the the, the director friendly studio. You can come here, and your vision will be unencumbered, and we'll will by and large leave you alone, and you can make your film. Uh, whereas Marvel is a bit more like. Bond and a bit more like Eon, uh, where the producers are the star necessarily, and and the 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 directors sometimes yes. were just people for hire. But that's byproduct a byproduct of the fact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has cohered in a way that DC can only really dream of at this yeah. point. Therefore, they've got more more to lose by deviating in in kind of weird creative directions or unusual yeah. creative directions, which may be why Whedon suffered a bit on Avengers because his sensibility is perhaps comic in a slightly different way naturally than than what came before him yeah although I get the impression he always wanted to make a darker film I think he wanted to make a darker film than, than he made maybe yeah, yeah maybe so I mean maybe he'll get that opportunity at DC which does mm. seem to be hewing darker than than than, uh, yeah. than what, I mean you could argue that the, for all its flaws DC might be in a better position to take its universe in a darker direction mm-hmm. than, than the MCU could at this point 
maybe the fact that the MCU is so successful gives it less wiggle room than DC can probably start again a little mm-hmm. bit reset and maybe just Whedon's part of that because to my mind he and Zack Snyder don't really have much commonality as filmmakers so if Zack Snyder's overseeing this this thing as it I don't develops, think he is I don't think he is but he's overseeing you know the opening kind of yeah the opening development which does, goes a long way to yeah. setting the tone of the thing yeah um, you can't really I mean Suicide Squad probably was an outlier but it's still even then it's still you could still kind of see it fitting in it still had a sort of a dark darkness to it mm. a heaviness um, so it'd be interesting to see because I don't you know Joss Whedon's quite different from anything that's gone before but he's such a good filmmaker and such a good writer I think yeah um, yeah. I would love his writing I think people love his writing they love what he's done you know it's Buffy's anniversary so he's back in the back in the limelight for two reasons at the moment <laughs> and um, you know Serenity and Firefly and Doll's House all the things that he's done previously I think he's built this huge kind of passionate fan base with him and maybe there is a bit of conflict amongst them about the fact that he's moved from you know Marvel to DC but I just you know I just the, the more good filmmakers you have good writers you have the better I think because we're going to see these films whether we, we, like we want all these films to be good and we want you know and it, and it, it is interesting I've talked to you know I've said this in the podcast before that, that Bond Marvel comparison and obviously Bond over the last few years has, has moved towards more director driven model Sam Mendes wouldn't have come on otherwise mm. and I think that you, as you look at the way the Marvel films are developing you know they are going for filmmakers like Shane Black and Taika Waititi who have, and Ryan Coogler who have singular visions as well uh, and they can mesh with that producer driven model uh, but I also think the talent that, that for the most part that is being assembled on the DC movies is really interesting and I, I'm you know I, I I haven't been a fan so far, for the most part, of what's been produced. Uh, but I'm really excited about a Joss Whedon background movie. I mean, but how is it going to fit in? Is it going to be a standalone? Is it going to work necessarily? Batgirl, in case you don't know, is Barbara Gordon, who's the daughter of uh, Commissioner Gordon. We've seen her, of course, is voiced by Rosario Dawson in the Lego Batman movie. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very... Mm. Interesting to see where we go with this. James Gunn's done a great job with Guardians. I'd love to yeah. have seen a Joss Whedon Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I think he was a bit busy at the time. <laughs> I know he was, <laughs> of course. But I mean, there's going to be more, isn't there? And, yeah. and you know, Serenity's kind of quite similar. Serenity position. But let's, let's, let's stay on DC, actually, and talk about the Justice League uh, trailer, which came out last Saturday, so after the podcast went up. What do we make of it? What do we think? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's some nice moments in there. I think they. it, it does feel like they're consciously trying to... Uh, row back some of the, the the tone that Batman vs Superman had. There are some really sort of light, quite likable, funny moments here. I mean, there's some really good exchanges between um, Ben Affleck's Batman and Ezra Miller's Flash. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the bit where where the Flash asks Batman or, or asks Bruce Wayne, uh, "What's your superpower?" And he just says, "I'm rich." Mm. You know, that's that's nice. That's nice, and that's the sort of uh, humour that we haven't quite seen in in the DC EU before. So it does feel like there there is a bit of a um like they're trying something out new for this universe. Yep. Um but there's also a lot of that seems quite familiar. I um, yeah. there's a lot of it feels visually very much of a piece with yes, Batman versus Superman. It does. Yeah. I think this the CGI seems about par for the course and not all of it looks great. I mean this is, you know, the it's, it's, a, it's a trailer yeah. so there obviously there's lots of work to be done but there, there seems to be a huge amount of green screen on this movie, um, which, you know, it, I guess that's a superhero movie. Again, par for the course, for, for, yeah. for pretty much. Um, 
Yeah, I, I thought I thought yeah, we, we, there's two big trailers actually this week we should talk about. We should talk about Spider Man uh, Homecoming as well. Mm. I, I I wasn't blown away by either trailer. I'll be honest with you, but I, I think that there's there's certainly grounds for encouragement with both. Um, the I, I, I you know there's going to be a slightly lighter tone just by sheer dint of the the, the characters are going to be interacting with each other in, in Justice League. Ezra Miller is fantastic and. Uh, a very very funny guy in real life, and if you can impart some of that into Barry Allen, then I think uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna be great. It's gonna fly very very well. Uh, what's interesting about that trailer, and I'm not surprised by this in the least, is that they're not even remotely hinting at Superman, who we know is in the movie, but we don't know in which capacity. Now, uh, you know, is he gonna come back as evil Superman and give the Justice League a bad guy that they can fight against? Uh, or is that just simply repeating in a way what Batman Superman did and having one of the heroes as an adversary and then obviously he'll get a bump in the head and realise he's okay and he'll come back or is he going to come back triumphant at the end to save them whenever they're up shit creek without a bat paddle so what do we reckon? Do you think it'll be a a Fast and Furious 8 style? It's like Vin Diesel and he's just he's been turned against the team turned against family family family. I think he's still dead you think he's still dead? Yeah, I think he's dead. You they think he's dead? Him. That's it. That's Surely. it. No more Superman. Done. Surely. Ever. Done. Finished. Oh, Phil. How what? naive. Oh, come on. Sweet oh, Phil. Painfully. You're so cynical. Oh, oh Phil. You're so cynical. Yeah. <laughs> a single tear is rolling down my, my, my cheek now for, for poor, naive, Such optimistic Phil. Such childlike innocence. <laughs> they surely wouldn't kill off their... Cash cow. <laughs> their cash cow. No, I mean, be, like yeah. somebody, I saw somebody say that Superman will definitely be in Justice League, and then somebody else on the internet was like, "That's a spoiler." But I mean, <laughs> the last, the last movie spoiled it. Like you saw the dust, <laughs> the soil, right, rising from his grave. Like, yeah. I mean, it, of course he's not bloody dead. It's Superman, yeah, can't kill him. It could have been a geological anomaly. It could have been, or some form of earthquake. It could have been. I, yeah, I'm yeah. fascinated to see how they get Superman back into it. Um, I think uh, to echo other people who've said this, uh, it is clear that Jason Momoa is having the time of his life mm-hmm. as Aquaman, uh, aka Arthur Curry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not his real name, is it? It's his real name in, in the in the in the comic book. Okay. Is Jason Momoa's real name is Jason Momoa? Arthur, and, Curry. Um, Arthur Curry. Arthur Curry. Oh, that sounds yeah. like something out of a Carry On movie. Yeah. What you have? Arthur yeah. Curry. Oh yeah, had Arthur Curry last night. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course there's um who can forget? Cyborg. He's in that movie. Oh yes. Yeah. Cyborg. Don't mention the Borg. Don't mention the Borg. And then let's move uh, let's segue seamlessly onto the Spider Man homecoming trailer. Um which I thought was 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 fine, it was okay. Um, I'm sure the movie will be entertaining, but I think it does uh, it does throw up the question: Can you make a radically different Spider-Man movie? And and were we wrong maybe to expect a radically different Spider-Man movie from what's come before, mm. or are we simply going to get a Spider-Man movie done right, which you could argue we haven't had since Spider-Man Two? Um, yeah, I yeah, I, Tom Holland, great, really good in Captain America. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed that a lot. Mm-hmm. Stole the show just going to take me a bit longer to get excited about watching another Spider-Man movie yeah at this point I know what you mean I don't want to I sort of like the whole I, it excites me to see and Spider-Man Jim. and Iron Man together it excites, mm. uh, excites me to see Downey as Tony Stark even with his dad going through the force blonde highlights and he's clearly having some sort of midlife crisis what is that about um, it excites me to see like, even that brief Chris Evans cameo that's in the trailer where he's 
playing Captain America, but as a sort of training training video type thing, um, which is clearly fun. And it's excited, it excited me to see Spider-Man in this universe playing with these characters. Uh, but the rest of the movie did seem... The rest of the trailer does seem a little bit like what's new it just yeah it, it just felt slightly derivative of of previous spider-man movies and we've seen that movie so many times now that sort of same uh you know villain in new york uh and spider-man saves the day i mean the, there's a shot where he's the, the staten island ferry is being split apart and he uses his web to bring it mm-hmm. back together which seemed identical to the the toby Maguire when he's got the the the, the train the metro train yeah, yeah. But this time, Iron Man seems to come and help. So that's new. That's a new yeah, little wrinkle. Yeah. And it seems to be some sort of plot within the uh, the film about how uh, Tony Stark is not entirely sure that Peter Parker is ready for this great responsibility. Uh, and maybe he takes his spider suit off him. Uh, so there, you know, could be a you know dick move in Tony's part. But then Tony is not a man beyond a dick move. So we shall see. Here's a film that I really liked a while back, Chronicle, right? Yeah. Hmm. Chronicle. I mean, that for me had was more interesting than the idea of you know a third act in which Spider-Man swings around defeating CG villains. Like, I liked the fact that he was using his powers, learning to use they were learning to use the powers in weird ways and trying to control them and see where that took them. I hope this film has a lot of that stuff in it. Um, yeah. And uh, but we'll see. I mean, you know, who knows? We shall see. You know, I think there's a there's a, a lot of grounds for optimism from both Justice League and Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, and we shall see. The, the other trailer I want to talk about this that came out. Well, two trailers actually I want to talk about that came out this week that really excited me. One is it, uh, Stephen King's it, mm. uh, the adaptation of that, um, which looks really really great. Uh, looks like they've nailed the tone. Uh, they're adapting in this case. Uh, Andy Muschietti, the director, is directing uh, adapting the first part of King's novel so it's focusing on the uh, on the group of kids who encounter it which is this millennia old alien in a town called Derry in Maine which can take the form of your greatest fear uh, and for the most part that is a horrible evil clown called Pennywise and the, the trailer just seems really bleak and scary and Bill Skarsgård seems to have nailed although we haven't heard him speak yet uh, as uh, he seems to have nailed Pennywise um, looks really interesting and the other one is A Ghost Story which is the mm. did anyone see the trailer for this? yeah I did uh, the, the new film from David Lowry which reunites Rooney Mara and uh, uh, Casey Affleck and it's a fantastic this is a wonderful concept the, the concept is if you haven't seen the trailer go to check it out immediately this film looks incredible and a shot at the top of my most anticipated list um, and it is uh, about a couple Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck who of course previously started for Lowry and Ain't in Body Saints uh, Affleck is killed and comes back as a ghost but it's not a horror film it seems to be it's a, well, it's a metaphorical horror film uh, and he comes back as a ghost with a literal white sheet over his head and he haunts Mara's house the house that they used to live in as she gets on with her life and as she begins to forget about him and move on and raise a family and it seems to move in far into the future as well and he's just hanging around just looking at the echoes of the past this could be a movie that, that might break if I had a heart it would, it would break it but uh, yeah it looks very very interesting it's something of a pisser for Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman's ghost stories I'd imagine 
<laughs> looking at yes. needing to change the title potentially. I don't. Know. I don't think they will because obviously that's that's it's based be, on it's it's tied into the play that the thousands play. upon thousands of people yeah, are seeing. Okay, I guess not. It's and not. it's a very very different thing. Ghost stories is going to set out to scare the shit out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A ghost story is yeah. not. Uh, so yeah. well, don't go see them both. They both sound great. Yeah, they both sound fantastic. Um, any I, other any yeah, other bits of yeah, news? Just. Just I guess the big kind of industry news this week was uh, the the cinema con event in Vegas, in which all of the big studios go and woo the exhibitors and the big uh, theatre chains in America with their latest offerings. Um, so we saw footage from more footage from Wonder Woman. We found out that, as before mentioned, Wreck It Ralph uh, sequel is called Wreck It Ralph breaks the internet I think it's just Ralph breaks. Ralph breaks the internet yeah sorry my bad as pertaining to Kim Kardashian I believe that is a reference to Kim oh, Kardashian yeah. is breaks it? the yeah. internet is, yeah. that, okay. is that a Disney movie referencing a nude photograph I guess so yes wow yeah okay interesting yep. Walt, Walt's frozen head is now spinning <laughs> rapidly yeah. and uh, and uh, Sony Sony showed off uh, their Blade Runner 2049 footage mm. got uh, Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford down um, not by plane and um, <laughs> Tom Rothman Tom Rothman put it down to Netflix Netflix my ass when he showed off this <laughs> <laughs> massive big widescreen offering that they have um, returning to Ridley Scott's world and uh, that was sort of the undercurrent of the week I think there was a lot of like what happens next in terms of windows theatrical <clears throat> windows how does how do the big movies movie studios kind of hit back against the streaming model that's developing yeah. um, it's far too dry to yeah. get into in great detail on this podcast no, but there, but, was, there was but some interesting stuff some about, interesting stuff it's yeah. worth having a look at, at some of the articles that came out of it about how they, they feel that um, there, there is a feeling growing within the industry that uh, studios or one studio might break away from the pack and mm. do away with the, the window yeah. uh, between cinematic release and DVD, Blu-ray, home entertainment release, uh, which okay. could have a huge effect. And then obviously other studios might follow suit if that is successful. Uh, so the idea would be that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need to go see episode eight in a multiplex mm. with 200 strangers. You spend 50 quid. I think we talked about this before. This is not a new idea. You spend 50 quid to watch it at home on opening day on your TV uh, with your mates around. Yeah. And how can cinema survive yeah. that? That's going to be interesting to I, see it, if that happens. It, it sounds to me like they're throwing darts at an invisible... They don't know where the dartboard is yet. I mean, we have our generation maybe, or the generation that's having kids or about to have kids, suddenly gets into the bracket where it's too expensive to go to the cinema because of babysittings, yeah. etc. The, the the millennial generation is still going to the movies. Last year was a very big movie for US, US domestic box office. Um, uh, the question is, the next generation after that, um, Gen Z, you know, using their phones a lot, not sitting and consuming a lot of long-form content, potentially. Mm. Are they going to go to the cinema when they get into their 20s and 30s? They don't know the answer to that yet. Mm. Are you going to spend £30, £40 paying to watch Spider-Man Homecoming on the day it's out on your telly? I'm not. I mean, I just yeah. just think they don't know the answer to that. So, yeah. And they've also got to keep the... The, the cinema chain suite as well which is another challenge and do they, well, they pay may, them they may a feel, cut of that or they may feel what? they don't need the cinema chains ultimately if they, if this is a if this is a big success and they can even have you know I read one one reporter but they were, they were going well we realise that if you pay 50 quid say that's okay let's use Spider-Man Homecoming as an example you pay 50 pounds for Spider-Man Homecoming what's to stop you cramming 50 friends into your front room 
and even you could even sell tickets on the slide <laughs> for that. It would just, so what they're talking about is a company that could develop a what software. What you're talking about is illegal. Well, what they could, well, of course it's illegal, but you could. And um, uh, you, you have a camera as part of the software that's attached to, and we all have cameras in our front rooms pretty much, uh, whether you have Xbox, whatever it is. Uh, and they would scan the room to see, oh, you're watching this with four people. All right, so the price has gone up. Or you're watching this with 10 people. All right, you have to pay this much, which obviously has all sorts of privacy issues attached to it <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yeah. But it's going to be an interesting time. I, I, I do feel that, that a reckoning is coming, a change is coming, that there are cinema chains that really put an emphasis on the pleasure of going to the cinema. Yeah. And then there are others that don't, that just see us as consumers and customers to be, you know, to yeah. be shuffled in and shuffled out again uh, Netflix is saying that the cinema hasn't really changed but the popcorn's got tastier that's it but actually I think you know I think there are cinema chains are working chains. really yeah. hard to, to make the experience yeah. more pleasurable and fun and I also think what you might see is like movies doubling down um, you know Christopher Nolan people are like making bigger films saying fuck it we're just going to go even larger and make, yeah. and make more of a point of difference between watching Netflix and watching watching films at the, at, on the big screen. And also, like um, Chris McCrory said on the live podcast, you know, that maybe they'll let go of this audience chasing this younger demographic and just make filmmaker-driven content, which I think will pull people into the cinemas naturally. Mm. I think part of it might also be that, you know, cinemas have to maybe be a little bit bolder in terms of keeping cinemas, keeping films in the cinema for a little longer. If a film doesn't perform well now in this opening weekend, it is jettisoned like that. Uh, and, you know, I know it's economically difficult to put some faith into a movie going, OK, it hasn't hit in week one, it hasn't hit in week two, but week three, I'm telling you guys, it's going to be gangbusters. But maybe that's something that has to happen as well down yeah. the line. But, of course, yeah. one thing Netflix has that, uh, that conventional cinema does not have at the moment is Adam Sandler. And they're going to have more and more Adam Sandler. Four more Adam Sandler Netflix films are on the way because you demanded it. Um, so, there You're you go. You're looking at John. I am looking at John. John, John was, I saw him refreshing. My writing campaign <laughs> finally paid off. Yeah. These people write letters to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Got another story. Barry Jenkins, of course, uh, Oscar-winning Moonlight director. Yep, uh, has uh, signed up with Amazon um, for a mini-series for a subscription to for Amazon a subscription, Prime. Yeah, for well a subscription. Done him. He gets a discount. Um, <laughs> the Underground Railroad, um, which is a set in pre-Civil War, antebellum South of America, about the actual Underground Railroad that smuggled. Slaves north across the border, across the uh, into really? the north. That's cool. Yeah, that's right. It's a great story. So um, it wasn't, it's not literally underground, though, right? It's, it's no, like no. A, apparently, it kind was, of was. Oh, it really? wasn't just metaphorically underground, although it kind yeah. of was. But it actually had tunnels and wow. you know tracks, and uh, it's set, it's about uh, a uh, character, a slave called Cora, who kills a young white boy who tries to capture her as she's making her escape, and then has to flee uh, whilst being hunted. So. That's um, that's Barry Jenkins next, which will be more of a television type thing. Good on you, Baza J. And then we should probably finish by uh, just mentioning that Robert Rodriguez is the front runner to direct the Escape from New York remake. In fact, he's not the front runner. John Carpenter basically said on Twitter that he's doing it. Um, and what do we make of that? 
I mean, I you know, I'm not sure the world needs an Escape from New York remake, but uh, there are worse people to direct it than someone like Robert Rodriguez, who I guess gets the you know sensibility of John Carpenter, that sort of B movie aesthetic. So perhaps it's a good thing. I mean, no, I I feel that um, you know I've said again, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but I I, I think that there's a, an amazing talent in. Robert Rodriguez, and I think that that talent has atrophied over the over the years, uh, and his involvement with Battle Angel Alita and James Cameron, and now this, maybe means he you know mm-hmm. someone's lit a fire under his ass, and you know, maybe we'll get the old Rodriguez back. So that that'd be a good thing. Maybe he's in a comfort zone. Well, I hope he's not. I hope he's going to get out of it. But there you go. That's all the movie news. Um, it is time now for our second guest this week. Uh, absolute legend the man who is Apollo Creed who is Dylan from Predator you son of a bitch Uh, he is Action Jackson he is of course Carl Weathers he's now starring in the Law and Order spin-off Chicago Justice you know I'm excited about it Uh, and it started here this week on the Universal Channel Uh, he came into this very pod booth yesterday to talk to me and he was absolutely immense I even ended up pitching a movie to him long story but you'll hear it soon enjoy uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the great Carl Weathers. How are you, sir? Oh, wow, the great Carl Weathers. The great Carl oh, Weathers. Thank you, you, Chris. you have earned it. Ah, you know, I, I generally uh, refer to others as the great, but uh, uh, to be sitting here and to be in this beautiful... By the way, today is absolutely gorgeous outside for all of those people in Radio Land. I mean, it is a beautiful day in London, so I'm so happy I brought the weather to you all. Yes. In your suitcase, in your carry-on luggage. All of that I yeah. had, and when I opened it, bang, sunshine came out. Southern California sunshine came out. Weather's brought um, the weather. Yeah, yeah, weather's brought, thank you, very good. <laughs> that's that's why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> I, think, um, I think someone here gets paid big bucks, and oh, it's uh, not me. Well, um, okay, we'll find them eventually. <laughs> we'll get to them. Uh, anyway, I I thank you uh, for the, uh, the the greeting. It's nice to be here. Oh, fantastic. Uh, it's a, absolutely fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you. And, uh, and you're here because of Chicago Justice, yes. which I'm very excited about because I am a massive... Law and Order fan. Oh well, and this is this is connected. This is a not a spin-off necessarily. It's an incarnation. Incarnation. Of, an yeah. incarnation of we. Uh, yeah, we we. If you're a Law and Order fan, and hopefully if you're not, you'll become a fan of Chicago Justice because we deliver, hopefully on a week to week basis, in ways that people cannot imagine they're going to be entertained. So you're playing uh, basically an attorney general, is that, is that correct? I am playing the state's attorney. State's attorney, yeah, yes. You know, an attorney general type. Okay. In, uh, in Chicago, uh, the state's attorney is an elected official. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Mark Jeffries, the character, is a bit of a politician, you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, politicians, as we all know, like to keep their jobs. And so <laughs> they do a lot of promising of things that sometimes they don't deliver. Okay. In the yeah. case of Mark Jeffries, of course he delivers, of man. He's, of you know, he's an ethical guy. You could not not deliver. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's beyond you. It's, it is beyond the great <laughs> <laughs> to not deliver. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a show that... Obviously, uh, is a Dick Wolf show, and that mm. right there um, means that there's going to be a particular type of quality about the show, mm-hmm. and uh, it does in its in its own way resemble, I suppose, uh, Law and Order. So it's a much more mm. uh, contemporary version, if you would. It's a hipper version, in my opinion, because I'm so hip, you know. <laughs> uh, um, 
But um, yeah, I'm also a little out of my mind here. It seems that no, jet, jet lag's uh, a horrible uh, thing. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of over that by now. Yeah. It's not that. It's just that being in London is such a joy. I've been here so many times, and I get here, and I just. I kind of get giddy. I don't know why. Oh, There's something okay. in the water, maybe. Huh? Okay. I don't know. It's a, it's the it's the London air. I'm not sure. It's the beautiful women on the street. It's <laughs> it's the it's the clothing that people are wearing. Everybody's so cool in London. They look so. Hip. And then you meet me. Oh well. <laughs> and suddenly Chris, you realize. Chris, you know, it just brings me back to earth. Meeting you just, <laughs> just brings me back to earth. What are your London haunts, Carl? Where where do you go when you're here? Um. Well, I'm not a haunting kind of guy. I never have been. Okay. But I do say this. Every time I come, I have to go uh, stroll Savile Row. Okay. I have to go and look at uh, what sartorial splendor <laughs> exists on Savile Row and um, see what I can afford. <laughs> because, <laughs> man, those guys, I remember back in the day when I came here, the first time I ever went to Savile Row was, uh, God, 100 years ago, maybe. And and I thought it was as expensive then. Uh-huh. Uh, it's gotten ridiculously expensive now. They don't even let me walk on Silver Road. Well, they let me walk, but they they kick me out of stores very quickly when I <laughs> when I look at things and want to say you know want to ask what's the price. Like, Get out of here. That's the thing. If you ask, well, then if you, you can't, but, you yeah. can't afford it. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's you know that's a good thing to learn in life, right? Don't There's, ask. Surely Chicago Justice has a pretty decent clothing budget. I imagine. Well, they've, they've got a clothing budget. Yeah, yeah but you know. They don't help me out at all. I have to wear the clothes on the show and then give them back. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, I know it sucks. That's how the great Carl Weathers doesn't roll too well, you know? <laughs> I just have this vision of, of Dick Wolf giving you a, a black Amex and just uh, saying, really, hey, Carl? Really? Have Is an that afternoon. the vision of him you have? <laughs> That's a vision. <laughs> I sure wish he'd show me that vision. Uh, you know, I, I'm really just happy to be on the show, man. It's, yeah. it's such a joy and... Uh, you know we're 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 very fortunate too because we have really gre- great guest actors who come on the show and mm-hmm. many of them have been around and some of them uh, were back from the old Law and Order days you know oh, fantastic. Uh, so they've worked on Dick Wolf shows and a lot of quality shows in the states and and then we have great writers as I said who deliver great stories but we also mm-hmm. have a, a really wonderful group of uh, directors who've come on the show and done done such stellar work so mm-hmm. it makes our job. As easy as one might have it in television, because it's a grind, you know, the hours. But um, we're very, very pleased. And so far, knock on wood, in the U.S., uh, for those of you who don't have tele- uh, have, have uh, radios with screens and can see us, I'm literally knocking on my head when I say <laughs> knock on wood. Um, in a very sharp suit, I may say. Yeah, in a very, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, you know, something's got to work here. <laughs> Um, you know, we have really good directors, and they 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 really deliver really wonderful wonderful uh, shows. And and so far in the U.S., the audiences have really embraced them. We're getting really uh, a good good viewership, and people like the show. So, Fantastic. You know, we're we're not crying yet. We get, we're not. You know, we want to do better work. We want to deliver stellar work. We want yeah. to deliver award quality work. Yeah. But uh, it's nice to to. Come out of the shoot and have people like the show. Oh, fantastic! And and, and you uh, you shoot in Chicago. This is not one of the cases where no, no, no. Vancouver we don't. For no, exactly. Or, you know, you yeah. know how it goes. Vancouver yeah. for for London. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. You know, <laughs> no. We shoot in Chicago, as do the other Chicago shows. Mm-hmm. And so the city, you know, I don't know how many people in the audience uh, who are listening right now have ever been to Chicago, but it is one of, maybe second to London, but it is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know the old line, every great city has a river running through it? (laughs) Chicago has actually three. They're tributaries of the, you know, the main, but 
it's a beautiful city with a magnificent skyline. Um, and um, downtown is just, it's a wonder. I mean, if you if you have a chance to go, yeah. you've never been to Chicago, you should visit. It's a beautiful place. So does this mean relocation for you? When you, when you it means a relocation while I'm working, but yeah. uh, no, I head back to warm climes uh, in <laughs> Southern California. And and currently, I'm actually, I'm, 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 I'm sort of toying with the idea of moving, moving. I don't know where to. You know? Okay. And London is such a beautiful city. Uh, now that <clears throat> to get not too political, but now that you're leaving the <clears throat> EU, <laughs> I don't know that they'll allow me to come to London and and be here for a while. You're I, welcome here. You, well, we'll, thank we will you, Chris. always offer you sanctuary. Thank you. Ooh, a, <laughs> a sanctuary city. London is now. London is my kind of town. London is. But look around you, Carl. Look at this this gray, depressing booth. Oh, Would you really is, want to be here? Is you know really... something? Uh, this kind of reminds me of my bedroom. Now, what does that tell you about <laughs> me? My gray, depressing bedroom. You have a no. recording studio in your bedroom. This well, is, yeah. not quite. Not okay. quite. But I do listen to my I talk to myself and listen to myself a lot. So there you are. <laughs> um, can I just journey back into your, your past a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Uh, because uh, here at Empire, we're mad about movies and... Uh, Mad about some movies in particular. One of them is Predator, oh. uh, which is a film I absolutely adore. Uh, and there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about that movie yeah. in particular. Uh, the shoot itself, because you yeah. actually guys are actually in the jungle. We were, uh, which is it wasn't crazy. Vancouver doubling for the jungle. Vancouver. It wasn't a green screen. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Little, it was the know, real deal. A couple of fronds on a green yeah, screen. Yeah, exactly. The real deal. Mm. And uh, what was that experience like for you? Because it must have been insane at times. It was of- insane at times, but in a good way. Yeah. You know, when you're a young actor and you get a chance to do things like that, you know, like Predator, and you get a chance, let's face it, to run around the jungle with a bunch of guys and not have to really <laughs> worry about makeup, not have to worry about sweat, not have to worry about being stinky. Yeah. I mean, come on, smoking cigars, <laughs> you know, drinking good booze. Uh, it was a fun time, and we had we had really a wonderful director in John McTiernan. And, you know, what added to that experience was, and not a lot of people talk about these things, but what added to it was, first of all, being in the jungle on location. We were in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a bad location. And we were in Puerto Vallarta, which mm-hmm. is really not a bad location, okay? And, <laughs> you know, by day in the jungle, by night in the jungla, which was the disco at the time, okay, okay La Jungla. Okay. Uh, and there really was a disco named La Jungla, Amazing. which was interesting. Uh, but um, we had a crew that it consisted of Americans, mm-hmm. Mexicans, and Australians, a huge crew. And so those three diverse cultures, diverse uh, uh, citizens from around the world, mm-hmm. just made the experience that much more fun. Because, you know, you get a chance to interact with people that you probably wouldn't on a day-to-day basis. And there we are two, two and a half months, you know, eating together, sweating together, laughing together, (laughs) you know. Uh, It was just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And our producer, the great Joel Silver, uh, who's, you know, for those of you who really love movies would know everything from... uh, my God. What? Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, Matrix. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Uh, Jack Flash, The Great Action Jackson. Action Jackson. Uh, Predator. Absolutely. Uh, you said Matrix. I mean, you yeah. know, some great, great movies. Yeah. Uh, was our producer. And uh, it was just an, an amazing, it was an amazing time to make movies. You know, an amazing time. 
There's some some interesting stories I've heard about Predator. Uh, possibly apocryphal. Maybe you can help clear them up. Yeah. Uh, one is that obviously seven tough guys well six tough guys and Shane Black <laughs> no six cast. tough guys and Arnold Schwarzenegger okay that six guy. tough Who is guys that guy? and Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and there was a, a sense of competitiveness shall we say on set and you <sighs> would tell the other your castmates that your uh, your muscles were, were natural you didn't have to work out but you would get I up in the morning I didn't just tell them that that was absolutely true well, that's my not muscles what I've heard. were natural I've heard that you got up in the morning worked out and then didn't tell they were, about that. They were naturally pumped up. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'd go into the gym and, and uh, look, uh, the, you know, Arnold took a gym everywhere. Yeah. Okay. That's why he was paid the big bucks. Okay. He could move <laughs> his gym. And I discovered that he had a gym in the uh, hotel in which we were staying. And of course, once I discovered that, <clears throat> I uh, insinuated myself on one particular day. And when I realized that you could easily get to the key, mm-hmm. I started getting up really early, find the key, go in and work out. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the one thing about training is that you train hard, you start to look like you're training hard. These guys weren't dummies. They knew that, wait a minute. So now they start to get up earlier. Arnold. Uh-huh. Yeah. After Arnold, everybody else discovers there's a gym there, and you got Jesse, and you got Bill Duke, and you got all the entire group. Yeah. Everybody's trying to one up each other by going <laughs> in. So eventually, you know, I mean, call time might be seven or eight o'clock in the morning, getting up at four and four thirty to go work out, <laughs> because you can't have these guys look better than you. You know, I, I had to be pumped. My guns had to be right for the man shake because uh, I can't have Arnold Schwarzenegger one upping me. It's just no way, no way. That's clear. Ask her something up once and for all. Could you really have won that arm wrestling contest? What do you mean? Arms? Could I have? It was scripted that I that I I lost. <laughs> I'd beat him in rehearsals five or six times. Come on, you know. Mid air, that's tough. Look, well, that's a tough one. He's a girly man. What can I say? <laughs> he's a girly man. <laughs> uh, and I just want to ask as well about Sonny Landon. What are your memories of working with him? Oh wow, Sonny. Sonny was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the story. The story is actually a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny, Sonny was really a wild man, mm. you know. And if the rest of us were were rambunctious, he was like out of his mind, wild man. So, the company, Joe Silver, a producer, hired a bodyguard. Yes, that was with Sonny. And the reason the bodyguard was hired was not to keep people away from Sonny, but to keep Sonny away from people. <laughs> That's how wild he was. Uh, so it was it was an interesting group of personalities, you know. Shane Black, of course, the great writer of Lethal Weapon and so many other great movies, and um, Last Boy Scout, to ma- name a couple, is now currently, he's written uh, this new incarnation of Predator. And yes. They're already shooting in the remake of that, and I'm sure it's going to be spectacular if Shane's behind the scenes, you know, working the strings on this. Uh, but he was, you know, I think it might have been the first movie he ever acted in, and he was a bit odd. Shane's an odd guy, though, anyway. He's a writer. <laughs> He's cloaked away in some room somewhere for hours on end. And uh, and then a whole host of guys. I mean, uh, uh, my God, um, Bill Duke. Yeah. Bill Duke, what a what a what a great human being! And he became a director as well. Yeah, he's a wonderful yeah. director, in yeah. fact. But what a 
what a crazy, crazy guy. <laughs> I mean, look, this is this is Bill Duke, whom I love, by the way. But we're remember now, we're in Puerto Vallarta. It's hotter than hell. Yeah, it's humid. It's everything that you could think when you go on holiday. What do you wear? You wear shorts, t-shirt, flip-flops. When we're not working, Bill Duke, Bill Duke is in tailored suit and tie. <laughs> I'm not lying, man. I'm not lying. We went out for dinner a couple times, and Bill Duke looked like he was going to visit the Queen at Buckingham <laughs> Palace. I mean, he did. He is just, you know, sartorial splendor as wow. Bill Duke, you know. And then, and then Jesse Ventura. I'm not talking, speaking out of school here, but yeah. these were back in the wrestling days. So here we are again in Puerto Vallarta. What is Jesse Ventura dressed in? Spandex tights, <laughs> leopard skin tights. I'm not lying. A muscle shirt, a boa. Uh huh. You know wow. those feathery boas that yeah. that people wear. Wow. And a beret and these glasses with sparkles on them, sunglasses with sparkles on them, and cowboy boots. This was just—I mean, just <laughs> that picture, right? That's so weird. That's my Friday outfit. If well, you, if you were here tomorrow, that's it, huh? That's well, what I have. Well, you and Jesse could definitely have hung back in the day. Let me tell you, man. Uh, you know, and then the only sane person I say in the group uh, was was yours truly. I mean, the rest yeah. of them were all bent, just really bent. <laughs> <laughs> they were extraordinary, extraordinary. Um, I have to talk about Apollo Creed as well. Um, just an amazing, amazing character. Yeah. Uh, well, looking back on those films, what does that character mean for you? And wow. Well, man, forty years later. Yeah. When people still embrace a character and embrace, embrace a movie, uh, they've obviously embraced the franchise. Um. You know, what is there, what can you say except how lucky am I that I was in the right place at the right time, uh, genetically endowed with, you know, the ability to pull off this character physically Mm. um, and, um, you know, had enough acting chops to be able to try to add some nuance to something that could have been a caricature. Absolutely. You know, Um, but... um, you know, what do you say, man? I was just very fortunate. I'd been an athlete and had that ability and uh, was lucky enough that that role at that time was not given to, you know, the kind of people they wanted because they didn't want me. They wanted a, a star. Yeah. They wanted an athlete who was well-known. They wanted a boxer who could act. And as it turned out, uh, none of that worked out. And there I happened to be, a guy who, in his 20s, was just lucky enough, and I'm really aging myself, in my early, <laughs> early 20s, that is, uh, who uh, was there and um, who was able to pull it off and who had the good fortune to uh, work with really good actors. Of course, we all remember a guy named Sylvester Stallone. Uh, yeah, rings you know, a bell. Just rings a bell, yeah. And Talia Shire mm-hmm. and uh, Burt Young and the great Burgess Meredith uh, got a chance to work with them. And we had a wonderful director and John Avelson who directed some spectacular low-budget movies. A tremendous director who just had the ability to make a low-budget movie look like it costs so much more. And to be able to direct an actor as well. And a lot of directors can't do that, you know. They know how to put the camera in a particular place. and. Yeah. 
and do all the technical stuff, but they're not necessarily good acting directors. And John just had that uh, capability to do both. And uh, also inspired a lot of trust, you know, because as a young actor, if you're left to your own devices, God only knows what you'll turn out. <laughs> I mean, it's true, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I, I was I was at the time... I was a student of acting. Of course, I majored in theater. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and I'd done some movies at that point and a lot of television at that point, uh, ep- episodic television as guest starring on a lot of shows that were very big during the day, you know, uh, during that, that time. But uh, to step into a movie and have no idea that it's going to be as big as it is, I thought it was going to be successful. I really did. You know, mm. and out of the mouths of babes, I told someone I thought it was going to be as big as Jaws. <laughs> now, that shows you how ignorant I really was because Jaws was, man, it was you huge. You weren't far off. Well, you weren't I'll give far you, off. Uh, here's an anecdote for you, though. Um, I was, after, after we finished Rocky, I was doing an episode of a show called Streets of San Francisco oh. because Rocky hadn't come out yet, right? Gotcha. Yeah, and I did. I was one of the repertory players on all of Quinn Martin's shows back then, and he did uh, Streets of San Francisco and Barnaby Jones and uh, Cannon and a few other shows, and I did all of those shows. And back then, you could be a good guy in the beginning of the season, and by the end of the season, you're a bad guy, <laughs> or reverse it. You're, you're a cop and you're a criminal in the same year, you know? But uh, I was doing an episode of Streets, in Sa- and we were shooting, of course, in San Francisco, and I was sitting out between takes on the pier uh, getting makeup touch-ups. And a young guy comes walking down the pier, and he's working on the same show. And a young, attractive guy, handsome guy, blonde, and he walks up to me, and he recognizes me, and he tells me, oh, wow, uh, that movie Rocky you did, really, really, I saw a screening of it. It's really great. It's going to be huge, you know. And I said, "Yeah, we think it's going to." Be. And I'm some, somewhat modest, but I'm telling you, I think it's going to be as big as Jaws. And he says to me, "Well, I just finished a little movie, and I think it's going to be as big as Rocky." And I said, "What was that?" And he said, "It's Star Wars, called Star Wars, <laughs> and it was Mark Hamill." So, out of the mouths of babes, you never know, man. You never wow. know. But you know, when you do something and you think just there, and you think it's going to be really good, yeah. Well. And Amazing. Amazing. 40 years later, here we are. 40 years later, it, and yeah. of course, Creed came out, out mm. and I love that film. I thought it was amazing. Did really well. Yeah. And um, I mean, uh, to have so many actors who come that much longer after you mm. and sort of pick up the mantle, and uh, a director who writes a script and creates a, a world there that, again, is just as great as you know the original. And to have Sly do some of the best work he's ever done. Absolutely. I mean, ever yeah. done. Uh, you know, I really thought he should have won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. It Likewise. was that good because the the nuance in that role, that character, and the the pathos, and, and uh, I mean, he really brought tears to my eyes with mm. that character, you know? Mm. And um, and I know the guy, so that's hard <laughs> hard to do, bring tears to my eyes. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah. Really I think he brought tears wonderful. to a lot of people's eyes when uh, when Apollo died in, in Rocky IV. I've Certainly heard that many traumatic times. Traumatic experience for me. I've heard it many, many times. I had someone come up to me in an airport many, many years ago, and this has happened many times. It's been repeated. But a guy came up to me with his family, and a beautiful family. You know, they kind of look like... like uh, they could have walked out of one of those magazines as, you know, the one of those typical families that you see. 
and uh, he had a couple kids and his wife, and he walked up to me and stopped me in the airport and said, you know, I want to tell you, I cried, and my family cried when you died. And I found that compliment to be one that stuck with me all this time because wow. if you can deliver something that really moves people to that extent, mm. and when you think about it, the Apollo Creed character in the very beginning was, for many, a villain. Yeah. He was a bad yeah. guy. And to make this arc, to complete this arc, and to get to the place where, my God, you you, you were devastated when that character goes, you know, um, I feel pretty good about the work that I do as a result of that, because that's what we want to do. We want to, you know, touch you, man. And, and it, was, uh, it, was, it was fantastic to, you know, over the years hear that from people. And that was Mark Hamill in the airport as well, was it? <laughs> no, that was <laughs> very good, very good, Chris. No, that wasn't Mark. Uh, and the last thing, Carl, is you, you said uh, a few minutes ago that the the running around and jumping days are behind you. Yeah. But we at Empire, we've never made a movie, but we we a few years ago, as a thing, we we went to a producer and pitched some oh fake boy. movies. Oh boy! Oh All right, boy. okay. Now I just want to tell you about yeah. this really quickly. One of the movies we pitched was called Unlandable Two: Colon Upgrade colon holding pattern with Carl Weathers that's the title that's the title this is okay. on the internet this is a true thing I want to pitch this movie to you and see if you're interested in okay. it okay so the movie is folks wait a minute before you go on Chris yep. wait wait no, okay, yeah. do you know how many times an actor walks into a place and somebody wants to pitch him a movie well, how many times how many times has the actor been pitched a movie where his name is in the title uh, of the never, movie never never but I'm just saying almost you know, never oh, this is brilliant unless go. you're John Malkovich go well uh, that's okay. true being John Malkovich yeah well, I should have I should have worked in that movie you should have been Carl Weathers I should have been no I should have been being in John Malkovich I should have been the guy who was being John Malkovich should have been that. perfect yeah, absolutely yeah. Uh, so okay so uh, we're, we're on a plane yes okay uh, a magician a wizard an evil wizard casts a, a terrible spell on the passengers everyone in economy is turned into vampires everyone in premium economy I don't economy, fly economy I'm sorry well, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll get to the good part <laughs> okay everyone in premium economy is turned into werewolves and everyone in business class is turned into zombies I won't fly okay. in business class now either now You're that I pilot. know they turned into zombies you are the pilot I am the pilot the heroic pilot who is oh untouched by the spell okay. and you must team up with someone who was upgraded from economy oh my God. to business class and has oh become God. a zombie vampire Carl are you in wow we don't have a script or anything or we can't pay you but are you in okay I'll tell you what I'll be in if mm-hmm. I can have Halle Berry is the person <laughs> Who has moved up from economy <laughs> to business class? To business class. Okay. I just want to be next to Halle Berry. I'm sorry. Okay. She will be in makeup as a zombie. Oh, let me tell you, man. If you can pull Harry Berry, Halle Berry into this mix, I'm in. It's done. Let's go. All right. Next time you're in London, we'll have the script ready. Halle will be on board. I love it. It's all good. Let's go, Chris. Let's go. Carl Weathers, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. My so much. pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Carl Weathersir, I will always regret not ending that interview. We didn't have time to talk about Arrested Development, but as we were talking about pitching that movie, um, <laughs> Unlandable 2, colon, upgrade, colon, holding pattern with Carl Weathers, um, then I didn't I didn't end on the Arrested Development line. You know, Carl, you, me, let's do it. You know, we got, us, we got ourselves a stew going, baby. I should have said that. I should have said that. Gotta yeah. let it go. It didn't happen. There you go. Anyway, so I said earlier on, I was going to tell you a story that, that made me look even more incompetent than you. Oh, Oh, yeah. So, so oh, yeah. here it is. So uh, yesterday morning, I got a bus to work. I got off the bus, and I looked at another bus. 
in the bus station and on the bus was an advertisement for Chicago Justice I went oh Chicago Justice that looks good oh who's in it oh these these faces on the poster I know you know that guy I vaguely recognise that guy and that one looks like Carl Weathers Carl Weathers (laughs) Carl Weathers Carl Weathers shit Carl Weathers is coming in at 11 and I forgot about it so I raced in in a panic and somehow managed to get through the interview so that was how do you forget you're meeting Carl Weathers basically Hollywood if you are doing an interview with us on the Empire Podcast you need to advertise somewhere near Chris's home for him to remember I was focused. I had two, I had three things yesterday. I, I had an interview with Jeffrey Rush for the podcast, which you'll hear later on, uh, and uh, Q and with John Collins last night. And I was focused on that. And the Carl Weathers thing, I thought was April seventh. I thought, you know, James had said, "Oh, Carl Weathers is coming in. Do you want to do it?" And I went, "Yeah, sure, of course." Carl Weathers, he's a legend. And then uh, I then oh, no, it's actually today. It's the thirtieth, but I'd forgotten about that. And so yeah, but there you go. We got there in the end. Okay, enough of our incompetence. It is time for the week's reviews. Uh, let's start with Ben Wheatley's latest, Free Fire. It's been all of four weeks since he had a movie out. He's back, back, back. John Nugent, tell us about this movie. Yes, Free Fire. I mean, uh, the clue is in the title. It is Free Fire for 90 minutes. It is essentially a 90-minute shootout. Uh, there's a little bit of setup at the start, and there's a little bit of uh, set down, Set down. <laughs> at, the, at the end I'm not sure that's a phrase or word but the, the, the bulk of this movie is uh, a bunch of people shooting at each other in a warehouse it's a single location um, it's shot in, in in Brighton although it was set in Boston in the 1970s it's basically an arms deal uh, brokered between various factions there's, a, there's some Irishmen there's Americans there's a, a South African played uh, with fantastic zeal and and recklessness by Charlotte Copley and it all kind of goes wrong and then they start shooting each other and that's it that is it that is the plot there is very little <laughs> more to it than that um, it's really interesting to see after something like um, High Rise which Ben Wheatley's last movie which was narratively you know, incredibly complex and confusing and all over the place that there is yeah. this such sort of economy of storytelling as, as Helen puts in, in her Empire Review very correctly that it's, it's so spare and it's so just straight to the point I mean, they, they, they don't waste any time in establishing these characters and setting up the premise that, you know, these are just a few sort of liveware uh, criminals who just ca- can't help themselves and what's brilliant as well is that it's all kind of an enormous misunderstanding <laughs> yes I mean, it's a farce. The it's whole a very funny a, film. It's a total farce. It's incredibly funny, and it's a comedy yeah. of errors. I mean, I, the whole way through, I was thinking, they could have just sorted all this out if they just like had a chat. <laughs> like, it's it, 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 it's based on nothing. Like, the, the conflict is so absurd. Um, and so it leads to some very funny sort of encounters between the characters. I mean, Brie Larson and Army Hammer play this sort of the most vaguely competent characters of all, but they're, they're all just idiots yeah pretty um, much pretty much even Army Hammer uh, whose Ord is unspeakably cool mm. just a cool dude uh, he's the most together you get the sense that if he wanted to he could probably take them all out but he's a bit of an idiot he's a bit of a dope addict and so mm. he he starts smoking a joint during the uh, the shootout <laughs> yeah. and begins to lose it a little bit and uh, and Charlotte Copley is just hilarious in this film as, as Fern who's this extravagant wild over the top South African gunrunner uh 
uh, I thought this was fantastic. This, for me, may actually be Ben Wheatley's best film. Uh, mm. It's certainly his most commercial, certainly his most accessible. Um, it's a crowd pleaser in a way that I think a field in England isn't, for example. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's just it's just great. Really funny, uh, really darkly comedic. Uh, all the characters uh, are wild and have a chance to make an impact. And uh, I think it's just fantastic. And it looks great as well. It's set in the 1970s. Everyone is dressed in really cool duds. You know, Michael Smiley's dressed in, for some reason, in some sort of... It feels to me like he's dressed in a suit. I can't remember. You know, he's... You know, he's he's got a bit more sartorial elegance and uh, Army Hammer's rocking a polo neck and Brie Larson's got these incredible glasses that are massive Elton John-style specs. Really good stuff. Uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it probably not as much as you guys. Get out. Get out. No, come back, come back, come back, come back. Okay, I'm back. But um, I still, I mean, I would agree with virtually everything you said. I just felt it, it probably Apart it from felt that. a bit baggy. I felt like, you know, I got the joke. Uh, it was funny. Uh, the, the dialogue wasn't quite sort of on the Reservoir Dogsy quotability snappy scale for me. Um, but there just wasn't quite enough going on when you got to about 50 minutes. I was like, it's just kind of continuing. The shootout's kind of continuing, and they, they're all terrible shots. And I kind of get that, <laughs> but but you know what next sort of thing. And I, and I I would say that Ben Wheatley does a great job of keeping it visually interesting. New camera moves, camera angles, finding the geography of the space, mm. brilliantly plotted. Um, I know he kind of modelled it out with Minecraft yeah. the before. So um, and you get a real sense of the environment that this thing is happening in. And yeah, I think it's funny, but I mean. Ben Wheatley's best film no, I probably would have said that compared to a Kill List or a Sightseers it's not really on the same level for me but I get why people like it um, just felt that it probably overstayed its welcome a little from my saying, point of view are you saying stupid people like me might get, like it more than the other ones which made my brain hurt Maybe. Is, that, is that what you're saying the subtext is that what he's saying John I can't understand what he's saying I don't, I don't know there's a lot of big words I'm in that not sentence. saying any such thing my brain hurts any such thing I like the so, film no, don't get me wrong sightseers is not like it's not it's complicated it's just that there's a there's an arc that kind of carries through these a, two characters it wasn't an arc it was a boat <laughs> What boat? What boat? It's it a lawnmower, wasn't it? It's a boat. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a bad joke. Go on. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a, okay. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, um, it's, uh, it is, it is, you're right, probably his most accessible, accessible movie and a lot of fun and the cast are having a great time and the characters are related to what John said. They kind of, they see that as well. They kind of see the absurdity in what's happening. So it has this sort of inner kind of engine of comedy that carries it through. But yeah, I'd be more kind of sort of three and a half than four. Three and a half. But we're going to round it up to four, four. which is what we gave it. Four stars uh, for Free Fire. It is a lot of fun. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is next. The adaptation of the classic influential Matrix spawning 1995 anime. Let's be honest here. We're all friends, right? Yeah. Associates. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> didn't expect we didn't expect a lot, did we, from this film? We were a bit like, okay, the the whitewashing scandal with Scarlett Johansson being cast as the Japanese character from the original manga anime was controversial enough, but it just felt like could this film be anything other than not great? It just I don't know. But going in and watching it, kind of a pleasant surprise. I thought it was visually pretty thrilling. We watched it on IMAX in three D. I kind of hate three D, but it. Really is, and it is like it is a digital 
feast and there is so much cg going on uh, but 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 it almost wears that as a as a um as a kind of merit in a sense as a virtue because you you, you kind of subsumed it's almost like watching tron you're subsumed in this kind of mm. futuristic tokyo cityscape there's an early sh- there's an earlier and really fantastic action sequence in which uh the major scarlett johansson's character she's been kind of rebirthed within this shell within this sort of cybernetic body mm. supposedly the soul of a refugee who's died in a in an incident previously and she's trying to find a, her identity but you you pick her up after she's been doing this this kind of like policing work, because she's starting to fray a bit, she's starting to age, which is quite interesting that she's losing her effectiveness. But it takes you right up through the city, um, holograms, a bit Blade Runnery, and uh, puts you on top of this building, and then the camera swoops down. And I felt you feel this lurch in your stomach. It's kind of, it's kind of thrilling. I mm. liked a lot mm. about a lot about the sort of the world that he created. Um, less successful, he being, probably. He being sorry, Rupert Saunders, of course. Yeah, yeah whose previous effort was um was snow white and the huntsman which was mm. not brilliant franchise spawner yeah until until of. the franchise has spawned yeah spawned a franchise killer yeah yep uh this one though is uh yeah it's nothing i mean it's nothing that we haven't seen a thousand times in a variety of masterful but isn't sci-fi this the, isn't this a john carter dilemma where um john carter is an adaptation yeah. of something that spawned loads and loads of copycats and yeah. then by the time the adaptation comes along it looks like it's copying yeah what it spawned a bit yeah i mean you know blade runner was obviously not necessarily inf- okay you know, yeah influenced by that yeah of course but yeah of, of that time and so you, it all feels like a bit of a soup now because you've you've watched Total Recall you've watched you know you've seen AI or Gattaca or Blade Runner or you know Minority Report was a film I thought about quite a lot watching this mm-hmm. and it's not got that level of craft or or, or heart or soul to it mm-hmm. um, and seeing as it's a film about the human soul that would be a flaw I would say um, but you're right it doesn't probably reach back enough to the original and, and make you think okay there's something interesting happening that's connecting it back to its original kind of DNA maybe um, but as a visual kind of evening out, yeah, it's decent, I would say. And and I think a lot of people have been surprised by kind of how well done it is. We've given it three stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't go any higher, but I wouldn't go any lower either. Three stars uh, for that. And uh, three stars also for uh, a horror film which is out this week called The Void, uh, which I reviewed. And, I, you know, I like this film. I like this film a lot. I, you know, I'm kind of thinking, why did I... Uh, did I stop just short of giving it four stars uh, it's directed by uh, first timers in terms of features anyway Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen Kostansky who I believe are art directors and makeup guys uh, in their previous work and they're still working on, on films right now uh, and it is it's a very low down and dirty gore filled horror film that will really appeal to hardcore horror hounds uh, I feel but it's something not quite there it doesn't quite get to the finishing line for me and uh, it is ostensibly about a a small town cop played by an actor called Aaron Poole uh, who is drawn into the night from hell essentially he he um, stumbles upon this guy who is is injured takes him but doesn't know where he's come from takes him to the local hospital and there all hell literally breaks loose there is a religious cult outside that appears out of nowhere with Ku Klux Klan-esque masks over their face and they will not let people leave they've got cleavers and machetes and all sorts of stuff and the people inside the hospital realise that they're not alone that there is some dark thing-esque creature 
which is stuck in the corridors of this hospital and uh, and what does it want and uh, you know it doesn't want nice things that's for sure uh, and so uh, the body count rises the blood flows in in great big gushing rivets of claret uh, so it's it's very very interesting uh, it's a little bit derivative it feels a lot like John Carpenter meets Lucio Fulci meets Clive Barker there's really meets H.P. Lovecraft there's huge great big influences worn on its blood-soaked sleeve here but um, it worked for me for the most part but it, because of that derivation I just thought nah, I'm not sure I'm not sure this is worth four stars so three stars but if you're really hardcore gore nut then this might be a four star film for you so there it is The Void sweet do not avoid <clears throat> very good thank you and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast in association with mustard.co.uk uh, join us next week for more film related fun when Phil will be in the host's chair Will I? You will. <laughs> okay. I, thought, I, thought, I, I wanted to. I wanted to wait until we were alone before I broke the news to you. Hooray! <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, I'm not here. Helen's not here. Right. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> make the security guys not here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. But good news. Phil's going to be in the host chair, and we'll uh, you'll be in safe hands, and we'll be joined by Riz Ahmed, which is exciting. John, you did that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's great. So there you go. Something to look forward to. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from next week's host. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> I'm preparing. Please do it in that voice. That'd be amazing. Uh, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to write the script for Unlandable 2, colon, upgrade, colon, holding pattern, colon, with Carl Weathers, dot, 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 and Halle Berry. Ooh, exciting times. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>